Hello there and welcome to another episode of the Extraordinary Podcast. My name is Tobias Dahlberg, strategist, founder at Wonderink. Wonderink, in case you didn't know, is a strategic brand and design consultancy. And the purpose of this podcast series is to equip people and companies with whatever it takes to become extraordinary extraordinary in a world where ordinary is a losing formula. There's so many brands and businesses out there that are just mediocre, that are seen as similar, average, even boring and dull. And you know what? You've probably never heard of many of these companies, and you probably never will, unfortunately. And so in this series, we talk about not only the strategies and the tactics and the ideas that can help you become extraordinary, but also the psychology, the motivation, the underlying ideas, of how you make a shift in mindset. It's about holding yourself accountable to higher standards and reaching higher. Playing it safe is the new risky. Not standing out, not standing for anything, not making it clear to customers why they should choose you is dangerous, even foolish. So in this podcast series, we do whatever we can to help you avoid being mediocre. So it's with great pleasure that I introduce to you the guest on the show today. And again, it's a special guest. Isn't that great? So on today's episode, you're going to meet someone who has a really impressive track record building brands, both as a practitioner and nowadays as a speaker, consultant, and a writer. Her name is Denise Lee Yan. And in case you're not familiar with her, she has not only held the first ever brand office at Sony, overlooking the whole Sony brand globally. She's also worked as a strategist and market analyst. She's worked for Burger King, Land Rover, Jack in the Box, Spiegel Catalogs, and uh, Denise has written two books that I really recommend everyone to read. Her first book is called What Great Brands Do, The Seven Brand Building Principles That Separate the Best from the Rest. And I have to say from my own experience, this is one of those rare books that really, really discusses this idea that brand building is not a marketing job, is not a marketing activity that brand building is essentially about integrating and connecting a whole organization around an idea. And that's something that I subscribe to very much myself. And actually, that was the founding principle of, of Wonder back in the day. Her second book that just came out recently is called Fusion. Her second book, her most recent book, is called Fusion, How Integrating Brand and Culture Powers the World's Greatest Companies. This book came out in March 2018, so just recently. And in this interview, we dive into perhaps the most challenging aspect of brand building, brand culture, how you align your strategy with your whole organization. How do you create a culture that delivers and develops your brand over time? I'm trying to create as much value for you as possible, and I'm ever so grateful for the people that come on the show to share their wisdom, the likes of Denise, the likes of uh, Joe Pine that we had before, Nick Westergaard, and many, many of similar stature that will be on the show in the future. So thank you so much for tuning in, and let's get on with the interview. 
So today we have Denise Lee Yan on the show and uh, she is a brand building expert and she's also a consultant, a speaker, an author and yeah, welcome Denise. Hi, I'm great. it's great to speak with you. Great to have you on the show. There's so much I want to talk about with you. Before we jump into it, I, I just wanted to tell you that I think the way I discovered you was just uh, by randomly buying your book, uh, What Great Brands Do. <laughs> And uh, I'm someone who reads a ton of brand and business books, and I'm sort of a geek that way. And uh, what was really amazing for me, and I have to say, like, probably out of all the books that I've read, that book resonated with me, or, or it kind of connected with me so much because it was built around this sort of very similar idea on which I founded my company uh, 10 years ago this year. And that was this idea of... Great. Yeah, that where... Yeah, it was uh, it was especially this idea of brand as business because that was something I had used a, a separate term. I've, I've typically been talking about strategic branding, that mm-hmm. a brand is really should be tightly linked to business strategy and business, and and it's really about like integration. And that was something that uh, in the mm-hmm. Nordic markets, I think branding was so much seen as as something you know communicational or or, or marketing. So perhaps we could open it up right. through that. And uh, if you could explain a little bit like, how do you see it? How do you see branding or brand building? I think you prefer that term. Yeah, and actually I do, um, because I think that, you know, there uh, the term branding, uh, well, first of all, just brand in general is just so misunderstood and misused. But branding, you know, if you think about where the term branding came from, it came from a time when people had you know, cows and ranches, and they needed to make sure that people would know who the cows belong to, you know, so they'd stamp their mark on these cows um, as a, a sign of ownership. And, you know, I think it's kind of insane to think that that concept is what companies need now when we talk about brands. So I prefer brand building just because I think what I'm talking about is um, developing a an asset um, that creates value for an organization and for customers. And um, as you said, it's if we're in the organization, building your brand needs to be tightly integrated with uh, your developing, executing your strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and so in, in your book, uh, What Great Brands Do, the seven brand building principles that separate the best from the rest, uh, which is a good title, mm-hmm. uh, you <laughs> talk about this sort of eighth principle, isn't that uh, brand as business or actually tying all of these seven principles together? Isn't, isn't that uh, the sort yes. of the yeah. whole idea? So- yeah. Would exactly. You, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, usually when I, I do a lot of speaking engagements and usually, you know, what I do is I say, I'm going to take you through the seven brand building principles that um, all great brands implement. But I have to tell you that there's actually an eighth principle, which is the, but, you know, you can't really get to the eighth one until you've done, you've gone through all seven. So um, usually, you know, when I'm speaking, I'll go through the seven. And then, yeah. so <laughs> business is about thinking and using your brand not as not as a marketing function but as a management tool right so then branding sort of transcends marketing as a concept would you agree with that then right yeah. yes mm-hmm. and so uh maybe we could walk through the seven 
principles, uh, if you can, I'm sure you can remember them, even though you wrote the book in 2014, but I'm sure you speak about <laughs> them a lot still today, right? Sure, sure. So would you like me just to quickly go through all seven or do you want to take each one at a time? Well, we could go through uh, the seven ones, for example, and then we could jump into them if, if that's okay with you. Okay, so let me just, sure. So I'll give you, yeah. I'll give the overview. So the overview, yeah. um, great brands start, yeah, great brands start inside. I mean, great brands start brand building by cultivating a strong brand-led culture inside the organizations. Uh, number two, great brands avoid selling products. Great brands know it's far more effective to seduce people through emotion as opposed to pushing their products on them. Number three is great brands ignore trends. They, in fact, often they ignore their competitors as well and create their own cultural movements that everyone else wants to follow. Number four is great brands don't chase customers. They gender their brand equity chasing after elusive audiences. Number five, great brands sweat the small stuff in the customer experience. You know, all the little things you do for someone in person are going to far outweigh the big things that you promise in your advertising. Mm -hmm. Then there's great brands commit. I'm sorry, great brands never have to give back, um, which is is um, about not uh, just doing good, but being great and creating positive social impact in the very way that you do business. And then the, uh, the last action is great brands commit and stay committed to the core of their brands. And they refuse to be distracted by anything that would um, make them stray from that core. Hmm. So those are the, the seven and Reader's Digest version. <laughs> the Reader's Digest, that's, that's fantastic. And the eighth one then is the integration of all these, right? The management that should sit on top of, yes. of marketing, right? So how do you, do well, you have... It should, a, should stay, it should, I'm sorry, Thomas, yeah. I should say it should, stay, it should be at the top of the organization. Brand right. is business uh, means that you adjust adopt your brand as the organizing and operating principle for your entire company. Mm. And if we speak of, uh, of brands that are doing this right, in your opinion, and you, I know you have some good examples, because in my experience as, uh, as a brand strategist and, and consultant, I, this is something where you, you stumble upon this all the time. And, uh, and I think that's why it's also great that you wrote a second book that actually covers uh, the, the inside of, of branding or the, or the brand building. That happens inside companies, um, but like, could you give a few examples and maybe some uh, some advice for for listeners who are thinking about, yeah, you know, that's that's good that you said that, but how do we actually implement that when I can't get my management team to buy into this idea because they think of branding as logos and you know whatnot. Mm -hmm. Well, I should first clarify that, you know, as a marketing person, um, it is, it's critical that you understand brand as business. Um, but at the same time, um, I understand that your ability to implement brand as business is going to be limited if the, the uh, operations leaders and, you know, organizational leaders uh, don't adopt it as well. So the, the really what great brands do, as well as my follow-on book, 
fusion um, are written for those in the C-suite, for those who really are running the organization, um, because they are the ones who need to understand that your brand is far more than your logos or your advertising or taglines. Um, so, so just to kind of clarify that, that, you know, I, um, I do talk to a lot of marketers, but I recognize that, frankly, they're not the primary audience for this message, you know, because normally they get it, you know, I mean, mm. uh, if you are, uh, you know, an enlightened marketer, which I think, you know, um, the majority majority of marketers that I interact with are very savvy and very experienced and um, and uh, very thoughtful, then you already know this. It's it's about the rest of your organization getting it. Yeah. Now, now one thing I want to say that um, can help turn the light bulb on for people. And one thing that really helps a lot is um, the uh is to think about brand touch points and in what great brands do i introduce a tool called the brand touch point wheel which mm. is a framework a visual framework that identifies all the different ways that someone outside your company comes into contact with your brand and then how all your internal groups impact those touch points and what's often very revealing about putting together a brand touchpoint wheel for your organization is that very few out of the hundreds and hundreds of your brand touchpoints are marketing and advertising driven touchpoints. Um, you know, when I when we put together a brand touchpoint wheel at Sony Electronics, I think we had like over 240 touch points, um, not including all of our products. And out of that 240, like only 40 of them were advertising and marketing touch points. And so mm -hmm. what that, what the touch point wheel did and that what that exercise did was help everyone else in the organization realize, wow, we actually have a role in interpreting and reinforcing our brand. So for example, um, you know, quite a few touch points were with our sales team. And at that time, when I was working at Sony, we were primary, primarily selling through uh, retail channels like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Best Buy and Circuit City and, and those kinds of retailers. And so our sales teams were selling into those companies. They weren't selling to direct consumers. And so in many ways, I think they kind of thought that, you know, that they really didn't have anything to do with the brand. Like, you know, let the marketing people run the ad campaigns. We just need to get our product into these retailers. Yeah. But by showing them that the way they represent and interpret the brand to, let's say, a Best Buy client a, account um, definitely impacts the way Best Buy then um, uh interprets the brand to their customers, it, you, helping like connect the dots for, for our salespeople, I think was very powerful. And in fact, we had this whole brand engagement program at one of our national sales meetings where we helped our salespeople really understand and, uh, how important it was for them to represent and interpret the brand in their work. And one, you know, I rem remember distinctly one of the salespeople coming up to me afterwards and saying, you know, I never understood what you talked about when you <laughs> said brand until today. And wow. that was very rewarding to me. And, it, it, and she said, you know, we are going to go back and we're going to change our entire sales presentation to be in line with our brand. We now understand. We now get it. So wow. there are things that you can do to, to get the rest of your organization on board. But, I, I, you know, I think at the end of the day, your senior management needs to adopt these ideas as well. Wow, that's really inspiring. I mean, especially the fact that Sony is like a, you know, packaged consumer goods 
company uh, that mm-hmm. that you saw that mm-hmm. so many touch points weren't actually like like so many of the touch points were internal, and I think most people probably think of yeah, touch points yes. only as external. So I think that was that was a huge insight. Right. Thank you for that. That was that was super. Right. Yeah. Well, so you even you know like I mean even a stupid or not stupid but a very even a very um like overlooked touch point like the um the the all the paper that went into our packages when people would uh, you know unbox mm-hmm. our our products um not only like just the plethora of of materials and how some of them were just unreadable unlegible but like um showing like our legal team that when they put together you know all of the, when they require us to communicate all of this legalese to our customers as warranties and as you know um, safety precautions, or whatever, I mean, and, and helping them understand how that impacts the unboxing unboxing experience. All of a sudden, like the light bulb goes off for the legal department. You know, so I mean, there there are ways to to you know to get people to um, understand their role in uh, building your brand. Excellent. Yeah, I think. Um what what seems so good about this book i mean just like uh is that all these principles are feel very timeless i mean i think uh they seem like they were not going to be going away do you have you found anything that would not hold true today in 2018 uh thinking back of 2013 when you probably started writing it yeah, no, that's a great point, Tobias, and you're absolutely right. I think there is timeless, and that's why even though the book What Great Brands Do came out in January of 2014, I continue to sell thousands of copies of it every year. And in fact, my publisher is kind of like surprised that people yeah, are still yeah. buying it. And I'm like, I'm not surprised. I mean, I mean, I'm pleasantly surprised that I'm still able to, you know, retain the sales. But I, you know, I'm not surprised because these brand building principles are eternal. Now, um, you know, the way that you execute on them has definitely changed. So for example, mm-hmm. you know, one of the principles that I talk about is great brands never have to give back. And again, this is the idea that um, you don't just want to kind of uh, check off the box on corporate social responsibility and do like a philanthropic donation or, you know, get involved you know, have your employees run in a charitable 5k and call it a day, you know, you actually want to make a positive impact as a business. And so, you know, since even in the four years since I've written the book, um, you know, I think a lot more companies have become aware of the, the expectation that people have that they will, they will, um, make a positive social impact and that they will be more responsible stewards of, of um of of culture and a society and the environment and so there's i think um like the elevated expectation changes the way that a company has to execute on that principle but again the principle i think remains the same yeah and what was it that got you thinking about all these like what was it i know you did research for the book but was it your own experiences primarily from from sony and the other places or because you have such a heavy yeah actually yeah yeah i mean (laughs) sorry i I meant to say that you have such a strong um you're focusing so much on the internal stuff and i think that's so right because that's really where the problems and opportunities lie for most brands yeah so um 
I will great fans do. I was very much informed by my experience at Sony as well as in the clients that I'd worked with um, since that time. Um, when I got to Sony, I, you know, I have to give credit to the president and the chief marketing officer at the time there. I was the first ever brand person in the U.S. working on the Sony brand. And, you know, I came in there thinking that I was going to be working on, you know, brand campaigns and you know kind of the things that mm. you would do as a brand manager um but they were the, but they were the ones who said you know what in order for us to ensure that our brand has is going to have legs in this new digital world we need to focus on internal integration and alignment and engagement and so that's really where i developed a lot of my um, philosophies and then developed all the tools and methods and then shared them with the clients but i will say that in the in the 14 years that it's been since i left sony what I have learned in all of the consulting that I've done is is really the um, the gap between people's understanding of um, brand and the importance of internal integration alignment and their actual ability to execute on that. And so that's why I wrote this book, this new book, Fusion, How yeah. Integrating Brand and Culture Powers the World's Greatest Companies, because I wanted to close that gap and say, hey, you know, if you truly believe that brand is built from the inside out, here's how you do that. And really walking everyone through the 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 playbook on how to do that. Yeah, so let's jump into fusion. And uh, so that's pretty much built around the first principle, isn't it? Like the great brands start, start inside. Is that really an expansion of that first principle? And yeah, the eighth, I think, perhaps yeah, the eighth as well. More... <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, great. Well, um, how do you, how would you uh, explain the book and, you know, why people really should read it? Sure. Um, yeah, well, uh, there are a couple of reasons why you should read it. First of all, I think that culture building has become um, a hot topic in among business leaders today. I think people understand, you know, whether it's because of the war for talent that's existing in many industries in many regions today or whether the culture crisis that we're having with the you know um, issues of me too and lack of diversity and lack of equality and, you know there um, and, and not to mention the uh, complete lack of engagement across the board of employees at most companies sure. given all of that I think that business leaders understand culture is something that they um, that needs to be worked on. But what I've observed is that um, many business leaders go about building their culture the wrong way. Yeah. Um, and so what I intended to do with Fusion is to give specific actions, specific strategies that business leaders can implement to build a great culture. And when I say great culture, um, I don't just mean a culture that produces happy, satisfied employees. I mean a culture that helps you as a business achieve the specific goals that you want. And because of that, you need to align and integrate your culture with your brand identity. Yeah. The two can't be separate. You can't claim to, to be 
to be one thing on the outside and then operate very differently on the inside yeah. in order for you to, you know, to really um, sustain your competitive advantage and to sustain your authenticity as a brand and to sustain your performance as an organization, the mm. two need to be integrated. And so that's really the basis for fusion. Do you think that what you just said actually relates to this uh this famous saying of culture eats strategy for breakfast, that it's the same thing that unless your identity is aligned with with your with your brand, your culture, I mean, would you say that that's a kind of a similar thing? Like if it's not aligned, then things won't happen the way you intend them to. I Well, Tobias, I think that um, what you just said is, is critical, that your culture um, needs to be aligned with your strategy, or I would say that your culture is what powers your strategy. I have... I, I have to admit that I have some um, issue with the phrase that culture eats strategy for breakfast or culture eats lunch or whatever because um, <laughs> I think that some I think that some people take that to mean that your strategy doesn't matter. Yeah, sure. You know, I, as I long agree as with you that, have yeah. culture, you're all set. Right. And um, I, I think nothing could be further than the truth. I mean, you need to have your strategy. You know, you need to know, you know, as a company where you're playing, who you're competing against, who, you know, who you're targeting, et cetera. But if you don't have your culture that supports that strategy, then that also falls, you know, um, it, you, you won't be successful. So, I mean, you really need to have both. So, yeah. yes, it's really the um, it's the it's the alignment and combination of the two. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree 100% with that. I mean, I, I've, I've also thought of that. I mean, it's a very, I think it's attributed to Peter Drucker or something. And whatever he says is, of course, uh, will live on forever. But I, I, I do agree in the sense that I actually have experienced it so many times. And for me, that really means that when you have worked on a strategy and, and you sometimes even feel quite proud or most often actually feel proud and very excited for the client and, and the client team or the leadership team can be really excited. But then there are things that start to happen uh, that actually start killing it, like, like piece by piece. And when you get to execution uh, in a brand, you know, reinvention or, or, or rollout or whatever it is, you piece by piece, that vision and that strategy and that desired precision just comes down to something, something really mediocre at the end. If the if the culture is one that accepts mediocrity, then for sure, or they play it very safe, then then the execution is going to be very safe. And for me, in my experience, this is like the most crucial part of brand building, actually, and the most difficult part. I think like it's it's quite. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying anything else is easy, but I think like having a great insight as a foundation and crafting a strategy, that's all. It's all controllable in a different way. Even even designing touch points. But getting culture and getting people to align on particularly like a bold vision, it's super difficult. What What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I think that most people think that they can just set the strategy and then it will happen. Um, and, um, you know, you, 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 and maybe I should also say that people just assume that culture will kind of come along. Hmm. But you need to be very good and intentional about culture building. Um, and, um, you know, I always say that you need to you need to be um, engaging people in their heads so that they understand what the what the strategy is. You need to engage in them 
from their heart so that they um, are motivated to support it. And then you need to instruct them with their hands and their feet so they know how to align their decision-making and behaviors and, and actions with the strategy. And um, you can't take it for granted that that's going to happen. You know, there really mm. needs to be um, a deliberate effort to cultivate it. Mm. What would you say, like, what would be your best advice for, let's say you have a new brand strategy and and, and the people who were part of of building it, uh, envisioning it are very excited. And then there's a big organization that needs to get behind it or needs to be aligned. Like what, what would you typically do as the second step after that strategy is, is ready? Well, I, you know, I would point you to one of the actions in fusion, which is, um, uh, ignite your transformation through employee brand engagement. And in that the chapter where I talk about that strategy, um, I highlight three um, initiatives or three ways that you can achieve employee brand engagement. Um, yes. So before I get into the three, let me just explain that. I think that um, it, it's important to to define when I say employee brand engagement, I mean specifically engaging your employees with your brand. So employee engagement in general is good, but again, you you don't just want engaged employees, you want engaged employees who produce the right results. Right. So employee brand engagement um, gets, it achieves that integration that I was just talking about in the heads, the hearts and the hands and the feet. And um, the three ways that you do that is one, to stage employee brand engagement experiences, mm. um, which I'll talk about in just a moment. Yeah. Two, to um, deploy internal communications campaigns. And three, to develop brand tools and toolkits. So the first brand and engagement experiences. These are um, in-person, interactive, um, instructional experiences for every employee in the organization to understand what the brand stands for and how they are to interpret and reinforce it. Um, and and, and I, I should say in person as much as possible. You can also use a lot of technological solutions to, to do this as well, but you want to in involve everyone in the organization. So um, the company that I talk about in that chapter, one of the companies that I talk about in that chapter is MGM Resorts. Mm. Um, they run um, some of the most iconic resort and resorts and hotels in, in Las Vegas and around the world. And they, ha they have uh, 77,000 people in their organization, and they engaged every single one of those 77,000 people in these experiences where they were taken through the, the brand strategy and um, they were taken through exercises that we really enforced the, the attitudes and behaviors aligned with that strategy. Wow. Um, the managers were trained how to uh, have discussions with their employees so that they would understand brand. So that's one, employee mm. brand engagement experiences. Then the, the second, internal communications campaigns. Um, you want to think about brand engagement very much among your employees like you would your customers. And it, when you want to engage your customers with your brand, you know, you launch multi-media um, campaigns, whether that's, you know, uh, podcast, video, um, you know, just you want to surround your employees with your with messages about 
your brand. And, and importantly, those campaigns should be, those communications should be two-way, where employees have the opportunity to feedback and ask questions and to engage with, with your brand leaders on the strategy and, and, and their roles. Um, but you know you want that the, your internal communications campaigns to be as dynamic, um, as as engaging, as um, on the level of quality that you would for customers. Hmm. And then the last, as I said, is brand tools and toolkits. Um, so decision making frameworks, um, process outlines. Um, you know, giving them or journals i mean sorry denise can you can you back one ways uh, to equip and sorry denise sorry? can you go back uh, 15 seconds i just lost you again for for three seconds okay. so you started yeah sorry okay. okay thanks so you want to so the third is brand tool the third is brand tools and toolkits where you are developing specific tools that empower um, and equip your employees to interpret and reinforce the brand. So these can be, you know, anything from decision-making frameworks to process outlines, um, workbooks, flashcards, journals, you know, training and uh, development tools that help your people understand what your brand is all about mm -hmm. and um, how to deliver on-brand customer experiences. So through Okay, now I'll lose this is the internal communications campaign and brand tools and tool and brand tools and toolkits. You can really um, and making sure that you are engaging every single employee with them. Um, I think that's an extremely effective way to um, get everyone on board with your strategy, your brand strategy. Wow, that's thanks. That's a really comprehensive answer, and I I, I believe um, like everything you said is so spot on, and I think. Uh, in all the projects that I've been part of where, where you know, it feels like it's been some sort of failure, actually these things didn't happen. And when we've done it, I especially like the idea of like decision-making tools. I mean, I think you need all of them, like you said, you definitely need all of them. But without having like concrete tools for making decisions, I think people get lost because they can empathize and they can understand what the story is. Like I think the typical way is somehow that you tell a story and then some people get a little bit cynical but i think when you give them and empower them really and equip them with with first of all the right to make decisions and really and know what type of decisions you need to make then right. that's really powerful because then you realize at least in my experience that every type of decision you make uh, is actually can be seen as a brand decision like from of course from pricing from portfolio strategy or portfolio like where you sell your products and and where you source your products like suddenly everything is a brand decision right yes yeah absolutely Go, goes back to the the whole touch points that you were talking about so we were touching upon one of the the five strategies that you mentioned in the book right when you we were you talk about five different strategies for aligning brand and mm -hmm. culture maybe we could go through the other ones so what what are the five ones and and sort of maybe just briefly walk through how they work sure um before i do that tobias i have to say that there are some steps that you need to take to lay the foundation 
okay, yeah, for sure. what I'm calling brand culture fusion before you, before you can take those five yeah, steps. Yeah, let's start there. And yeah, so yeah. Um, let me just kind of explain. I got ahead yeah. of myself. So again, brand, <laughs> it's okay. So brand culture fusion is the alignment and integration of your external brand identity and your internal workplace culture. And as I said, you need those to be um, mutually reinforcing and mutually independent, interdependent so that what you say on the outside is really how you operate on the inside and vice versa. In order to achieve that brand culture fusion, there are some foundational steps you need to take. First, you need to set uh, your overarching purpose and a single set of core values for your entire business. So rather than having a mission statement that's separate from your brand essence, you want an overarching purpose that drives, aligns, and guides everything you do. And then you also want to have a single set of core values that do the same thing. Then you then you you should assess where you are on your brand culture fusion today and really pinpoint the areas that you need to work on and it's so that you know where to focus your attention going forward. Mm -hmm. And then you also, as a leader, need to adopt responsibility, assume responsibility for achieving brand culture fusion. Oftentimes, um, leaders of an organization will know that culture is important, but they'll delegate that out to their HR department. And while human resources is definitely a valuable um, partner in implementing a lot of the Strategy and strategies and tactics that achieve brand culture fusion, at the end of the day, they need you as, as an organizational leader to be driving and championing and prioritizing brand culture fusion for your organization. So those are the foundational steps. Once you've laid that foundation, then you have these five strategies. The first is to organize and operate on brand. I mean, use your organizational design and your operational processes to create the environment for your desired culture to flourish. Then you want to create culture-changing employee experiences. Just as you would carefully design and manage your customer experiences, you do the same thing for employees so that employees will deliver the experiences that you want to your customers. Mm -hmm. The next strategy is to sweat the small stuff in your in your employee experience. So if you may, this sounds familiar because mm -hmm. in What Great Brands Do, I talk about sweating the small stuff in your customer experience. Now I'm talking about doing the same thing in your employee experience. Then we get to the a strategy I was just talking about, ignite your transformation through employee brand engagement. And then the last action is to build your brand from the inside out and this action is really, really for organizations that have an extremely um, entrenched or well-established culture and they want to move their brand identity to be more in line with their with their culture um, they can do that by either um, uh, in uh, taking specific brand actions that align with their purpose and values or using their culture to differentiate their brand so those are the five strategies that comprise the journey to brand culture fusion. Wow, excellent. Very nicely structured, I have to say. Very easy to understand. I mean, it just makes so much sense. Yeah. And uh, I really recommend anyone to, to really read through all the examples as well, because I think they open up this, this stuff really, really well. Do you, want, do you care to, to show, I mean, to share one of those examples that you were talking about, any one which is maybe your favorite or, or that really illustrates uh, any one of these principles? 
Yeah, well, I'll talk about creating culture changing employee experiences because I think that, um, you know, as uh, if, if many of your people, many of the people in your audience are marketers, this is probably where they can have the most impact. So let's talk about creating culture changing employee experiences. Because I think as a marketer, you already are involved in creating um, customer experiences so you can turn that expertise and experience towards internal employee experiences as well. And the example that I'll use here is Airbnb. Um, and uh, Airbnb has a brand identity that is rooted in the idea of belonging. Yeah. In fact, they have this campaign campaign called um, but that's but belonging is more than an external idea for the organization it's really their overarching purpose they want to create environments where everyone can feel like they belong and so part of that is in internally within their organization helping their employees feel like they belong at Airbnb. And so they design every step of the employee experience uh, from when people are first just interviewing for a job all the way through their entire, you know, all the different interactions, all the different steps and stages of their employment experience to the end of their employment um, to facilitate this sense of belonging whether it's really focusing on their core values um, and ensuring that that people feel like they are that their core value their own personal values align with the organization's core values whether it's designing the workplace environment to make people feel like they belong whether it's creating connections mm. between hosts and guests and employees so that everyone feels like they're part of the same community all of these things that Airbnb does to design their employee experiences are intended to um, create the sense of belonging. And um, I think the results speak for themselves. Um, mm. Airbnb has grown um, tremendously and very quickly and has really, I think, disrupted the travel industry. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Another one that came to mind from your book is Nike. I actually worked for Nike, let's say, 12, 13 years ago. And I have to say that their culture, I still keep talking about the culture. I mean, it was so in line with the Nike that, you know, as a consumer, it actually was much, even much richer, obviously, and and uh, and so engaging. And you got to meet with, uh, you know, superstars like, you know, I've stood next to Michael Jordan at these events, you know, for employees. And, and I think the way that they make you feel like so special and unique, it's just like, it's just really magic. And I don't see that with many companies, but... But that's uh, that's from what I understand uh, is what you're talking about, is that it really is uh, an experience and something that you feel. I mean, for at Nike, I still remember. I then uh, moved to Coca-Cola, and the Coca-Cola company. I mean, and um, I remember it was very hard to leave just because it was like you were part of this tribe and you had access to something which you knew you would never have access to as a consumer. Mm. So that was pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think it really speaks to the fact that employees will only deliver experiences to customers that they have themselves. And this this excitement and passion that you experienced as an employee, I think, could only translate into um, the customer and what you were doing for customers at Nike. So I think that that's um, a great example of integration. Yeah. I, you know, I have to say that I'm a little bit disheartened by the recent news of uh, what's happened at Nike um, yeah. and, uh, 
you know, I'm, I'm trying to sort out what is the truth and, you know, what really <laughs> happened and what are they doing to fix it. Um, but, you know, that shouldn't take away from the, the experience that you had, which I think is, seems very powerful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And maybe actually to link maybe to, a, to, to we're coming toward the end. And I, I was thinking something you say in the beginning of the book is that you say that that culture is often misunderstood. And you talk about the example of Amazon. And I, I'm not, not drawing a parallel to Nike here, but I'm just saying that that culture is maybe often thought of as something very soft and 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 uh, something that should be only positive and only, you know, you know, soft and cushy. But can you maybe yes. touch upon that a little bit? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Tobias, because I think that one of the most important points about brand culture fusion is that you're because you are integrating in line your brand and your culture. By the that very definition, your culture needs to be unique. And so while there's a lot of rhetoric out there that's that talks about how you need to have, like you said, kind of this warm, cushy culture where everyone is friendly and feels like family and managers are supportive and nurturing. Mm-hmm. And so then I think that gives everyone the impression that that's the kind of culture they need at their organization. And that's just not right. Mm-hmm. You know, there's one right culture for every single organization organization and that is a unique culture for that organization so in the case of amazon you know i think that they are um either famous or notorious depending on how you (laughs) want to look at it um for having you know extremely high performance extremely competitive extremely demanding culture and i think you know for some people that is um you know, soul crushing and it's toxic and it's and it's um it's defeating, but for many other folks it is energizing and exciting and it and it pushes them to achieve, you know, greatness. And you know, the thing about Amazon is their culture is all around innovating to become Earth's most customer-centric company. And because of that, everyone has that drive and everyone um, holds themselves to these high standards and um, everyone is aligned with that goal. So that so that, that's why I think they become so effective as an organization. Yeah. So that's a, I think that's a great point for us to end on is yeah. that your culture needs to be as unique as your brand. Amen. Sounds wonderful. <laughs> uh, well, Denise, thank you so much for all this wisdom. I think uh, there's so much there's so much to learn in this book, and I genuinely mean it. And I think, uh, especially as someone who's been through so many programs and so many strategies and seen so many of them fail as well. I have to say, this is like this is a book that the world needs to read. This book, and especially people outside marketing, you really need to 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 get your head around this book and and the ideas in it. And I think, as as in the in the the first book in the what great brands do, these these principles are also timeless. I mean, it's something that and that's what good principles are. They are timeless. I think there's something that you just need to practice them and get them right i mean isn't that really what the process is like do you know start somewhere and just start incorporating them and 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 do that until you get them right would you agree with that denise absolutely you know and i say that brand culture fusion is a journey it's not a destination i don't think that you'll ever truly arrive i think it's something that you can 
continue to work on. And to your point, you continue to learn. You know, I think that a company like Airbnb isn't just kind of, you know, checking off and you know, saying, okay, we achieved belonging. Now we can go do something else. I mean, they're constantly pushing themselves to figure out how do we continue to cultivate this culture and to become better. And that's what, that's what great brands do. So there <laughs> <Yeah>. you go. <laughs> that's perfect. Thank you so much, Denise. Thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate that. And this was, this was really powerful stuff. Thank you. Thank you, Tobias.